the unsurpassed, penetrating, and perfect truth is seldom met with, even in a hundred thousand myriad kalpas. Now we can see and hear it. We can remember and accept it. I vow to make the Buddha's truth one with myself. Homage to the Buddha, homage to the Dharma, homage to the Sangha. So, first of all, thank you, Reverend Master Mayon and Reverend Master Oswin, for letting me do a talk. And I have to say, it's really surreal being on this side of the podium. So, if I seem nervous, it's because I am. Um, but uh, I thought I'd start with a joke, which is an old way to uh, deal with nervousness. Um, when I took my first family visit, one of my friends whipped out his phone and started just, you know, listing off all these Buddhist jokes that he could find, you know, must have looked up some sort of website. There was one that stuck with me. So um, why did the Buddhist coroner get fired? Because she kept marking the cause of death, birth. (laughs) That was my reaction. I thought that was a pretty good one. Um, So... I'm going to talk about um, Dogen's instructions to the chief cook, which in Japanese is the Tenzo Kyokun. In Zen is eternal life. Um, When I was growing up monastically, um, Reverend Master Oswin always encouraged me to study this text. Um, And often as young monks, we will be in and out of the kitchen uh, as kitchen assistants. And so um, it was something that I tried my best to read um, and study. And I would say probably for 90% of the time that I've studied that text, it was just trying to faithfully follow you know, what my teacher was encouraging me to do. And... And yet something in these texts penetrates us and eventually like the things that Dogen or whoever it is is talking about, um, they, they click for us and that happened with me. And so um, I'll talk a little bit about that and how that influenced my own practice. But I um, have come to really love this text so I'd really encourage everyone to study it and to read it and see how you can put it into practice because it's not just for the chief cook. It's for everybody. Um, as Reverend Master Oswin taught me when I, you know, when we first started talking about this text, it's, um, it's for all the monastic officers of a temple. And extending from that, it's for all the trainees of the temple. And extending beyond that, it's for the whole Sangha. It's for everybody. Um, so even though Dogen uses the chief cook as a focal point, it's actually for everybody. And so when you hear the word chief cook, just interpose trainee, right? Just because that's really who he's talking about. Um, and a lot of it feels like details um, that are unimportant Uh, I think which is part of why I say that I faithfully would read it um, 
and um, because a lot of it is that when do you cook the food? Who do you check with? Okay, then when you know you're supposed to start cooking breakfast at midnight, and then um, you know, and then you do this, and then you do that. It's all very, very precise. And um, as you may or may not know, Dogen really loved practice, and he really had great respect for China and uh, Chinese Buddhist practice that he went and trained with and then brought back to Japan. And I'll talk a little bit about Dogen. Um, but um, so how I reflect on that now is that Dogen was just really excited. You know, he, went, he found what he went looking for, and then he was bringing it back to Japan and just couldn't help but be excited. You know, here were these people who wanted to train with him and, um, and said, yeah, we've got to do it like this, and then you've got to do that, and don't cook the breakfast before midnight. And, you know, and, and just, I can just imagine Dogen just having a ball and all these trainees around him being like, okay, like, why do we have to do it that way? Um, but as I have learned and as I think you do learn from studying this text, the primary thing about it that Dogen is trying to get across to us, even though it seems like all these mundane details, it's actually about taking great care. It's about practicing mindfulness and respect and generosity, uh, specifically in the kitchen, with the food and the offering that we're making to our fellow trainees. But if you're the sacristan or if you're the extern sacristan, which is like our maintenance um, department or the abbess or whoever you might be, these same things apply. Um, that all of these, quote, mundane details are really about showing gratitude and offering respect to the Sangha. This is our offering. This is our daily offering and how we show respect to the Sangha um, and how we do our part to keep that going. Um, so a little bit about Dogen. Um, I found something that I didn't know, um, which was which I found very, very interesting. Uh, in doing just a little bit of research for this. Um, so Dogen lived from 1200 to 1253. And as you may know, um, Dogen has another writing called um, Rules for Meditation. And in that, he starts off by listing a whole series of questions. Uh, he says, why are training and enlightenment differentiated since the truth is universal? Why study the means of attaining it since the supreme teaching is free? Since truth is seen to be clearly apart from that which is unclean, why cling to a means of cleansing it? Since truth is not separate from training, training is unnecessary. And I never for myself knew where that was coming from. I've always been a little bit you know, confused about that, um, except that I knew that that was um, a question that Dogen went to China with. And so on Wikipedia, uh, I found the following explanation, which I found very interesting. And I was laughing when I was doing this because I can remember being in college when Wikipedia was becoming popular. And our 
teachers said, you can't use Wikipedia. It's not a real resource. You have to go to the library and you have to get it from a book. You know? And now Wikipedia is like, probably the first thing that people quote. So this is, I'm quoting what's actually written on Wikipedia. Originally ordained as a monk in the Tendai school in Kyoto, he was ultimately dissatisfied with its teaching and traveled to China, he being Dogen, to seek out what he believed to be a more authentic Buddhism. He remained there for four years, finally training under Tiantong Rujing, or Tiendo, no, Tendo Nyojo, as we know him in the Japanese, an eminent teacher of the Saodong, or Soto, or Serene Reflection Meditation, lineage of Chinese Chan. Upon his return to Japan, he began promoting the practice of Zazen. Um, I knew that Dogen had trained first in the Tendai school, but what I didn't appreciate was the following. He became, and this is also Wikipedia, he became possessed by a single question with regard to the Tendai doctrine. And this is Dogen's this is Dogen speaking. This is Wikipedia quoting Dogen. As I study both the exoteric and the esoteric schools of Buddhism, they maintain that human beings are endowed with Dharma nature by birth. If this is the case, why did the Buddhas of all ages, undoubtedly in possession of enlightenment, find it necessary to seek enlightenment and engage in spiritual practice? So it's like right there. There's his question from Rules for Meditation, um, which I just found really interesting seeing the source of it, you know, was that here was this Tendai doctrine that he encountered and he didn't understand it. You know, well, if we have Buddha nature from the first, like why do we all have to practice? And this is, of course, what he finds in China. And there's a point in the in the um, Tenzo Kyokun, where Dogen says that um, most of what he learns, learned in China, um, he learned from the chief cooks that he talked to. And there's so much of this writing that I could quote and try and talk about, and I kept going back and forth about which parts to talk about, but um, what I settled on was the part that was the most important for me. It was the part that when I would read it, I would always reflect on this. It's this middle section where Dogen tells two stories of his encounters with the chief cooks. Um, and I think it was those two encounters that influenced him the most. So Dogen went to China like I just said, because he was trying to figure out the answer to this question about why do we have to train? What's the point if we already have Buddha nature? And when I've reflected on this, the way that he was looking at it in the beginning was that he was training for enlightenment. He was trying to get enlightenment. And as you'll see, what the cooks express is that is that example that we already have, that we already are enlightened, and that nothing is outside of that, and therefore everything that we do, every moment of our lives, isn't a search for enlightenment, but an expression of enlightenment. And 
I'll read you these stories because I just love them so much. And it's, I just have so much respect for Dogen to be so humble in showing where his, his points, where he was tripping, you know, what he was tripping on. And there's this opening paragraph that I'm going to paraphrase. But Dogen says, Although Buddhism was brought to Japan a long time ago, I have as yet never read anything written by any Zen teacher concerning the correct way of cooking, nor is it written anywhere that the chief cook must bow to the meditation hall before sending food to the table. It is because people know nothing of the true mind, in capitals, true mind, revealed within the correct meaning of the community's food and their cooking methods that it is said that such food is just the same as that of mere birds and animals. This is a great shame. Let us examine the reason why it is so. Um, when we recite the, um, the mealtime verse, the last two verses are, we eat lest we become lean and die and we accept this food so that we may become enlightened. Um, Dogen's making a point in this, in this opening paragraph where he said, where he, uh, food, to people, food is just food, you know. And before I found Buddhist practice, I don't think I ever really, you know, food, we were entitled to food. Um, I don't think I ever, I don't think I, I don't remember any profound gratitude for food. I don't think I've probably in my entire life ever gone more than 24 hours without eating, without having, you know, something to eat, or at least the option of having something to eat. Um, so for, for many of us, especially in America, which is a very, you know, blessed country, um, we, we are not um, face, faced with this idea that there may not be food. And um, so anyway, I'll leave that there. So I'm going to read this out of, um, out of order because it's not written chronologically. And because of my story-loving mind, it has to be chronological. So I'm going to read it chronologically. Um, so Dogen is on a ship, and my understanding is that um, he was confined to the ship. I don't know if it was a quarantine. I can't remember if it was a quarantine thing or if it was because the, um, they were just wondering, like, are we going to let this foreigner into China and go study at some temple? But anyway, he's on this ship. And this monk comes on the ship um, to buy mushrooms. And it turns out that he's the chief cook of a large temple. And so Dogen starts talking to him, and they sit down and have tea. And so the monk says, I am from Shishu. I am 61 years old. I have left home 40 years ago. In almost all the temples where I have lived, the life of the community was pure and truly religious. And so, so he says, you know, that he was appointed to, be, to being the chief cook. Um, okay, so he's explaining to Dogen why he's there, which is essentially to come and, and buy mushrooms um, for a festival day so he can cook something nice. And so Dogen asks him, well, when did you leave? And the monk says, well, after lunch. 
He says, did you have to come far? And uh, the monk says, essentially, yeah, you know, it wasn't too far, but it was far enough that, um, well, when will you return? Well, as soon as I have the mushrooms. And Dogen says, oh, I'm so glad we met. You know, I'd like to offer you something. And the monk says, well, that's impossible. You know, I've got to get back. It's, it's long enough that I'll be back just before nightfall. Um, and this really perplexes Dogen. Um, because the monk says, you know, if I stay longer, who will do tomorrow's cooking? And Dogen says, well, surely in a temple as big as Ayuan Shan, someone else is capable of cooking the food. I cannot believe that the absence of one chief cook could cause trouble. And so the, the old cook says, although I am old, I, as the chief cook, am in charge of cooking. Since this is the training of my old age, how is it possible for me to give, it, give such duties to others? It must also be remembered that I did not get permission to stay out for the night. And Dogen replies, surely it would be better for you to do zazen or study koans. Whatever is the use of working so hard merely at the duties of a chief cook? I love the sentence. He laughed heartily when hearing my comment, saying, my good foreigner, you have no idea of the true meaning of Buddhist training, nor of its character. And, um, and this is where my respect for Dogen is really great because he just says it honestly. He says, feeling greatly ashamed and somewhat surprised at this comment, I said, what are they? <laughs> and the monk replies, remain still and quiet in the very depths of your own question and their meaning will manifest itself. <laughs> it's like, how many times have we asked a question and someone said, well, just sit with it. Um, but he can tell that Dogen doesn't get it. And so he says, he says, well, if you can't understand what I'm saying, come and visit me and we can talk about it. Um, and so Dogen winds up going on his travels and he eventually winds up at uh, Tendozan or Tendoshan. Yeah, Tendozan is the Japanese, um, which is where his teacher Tendo Nyojo gets his name. Um, and so this is taking place after this encounter on the boat, probably some many months, if not a year later. And Dogen is walking from one part of the temple to the other, and he sees that temple's chief cook outside drying mushrooms. He says... I saw him busily drying mushrooms in front of the Butsuden, which I think is the meditation hall or the um, ceremony hall. Wearing no hat and using a bamboo stick, the sun was scorching both his head and the pavement, but he continued to work hard, perspiring greatly, feeling concerned for the pain he was obviously enduring at so great an age, for his back was bent as taut as a bow, I said to him, how old are you? And Dogen writes really beautiful sentences with poetry. He says, his eyebrows were as white as the feathers of a crane. Which is a lovely image. I am 68, he replied. 
Dogen says, well, why do you not give such work to a junior trainee or a servant? They are not me. <laughs> Classic Zen answer. I, and Dogen, and I, this is just me kind of imagining, but I imagine maybe even just a little bit condescending, you know, saying, well, I know you're very sincere, but the sun is now blazing hot. Why work so hard at such a time? And the, the old monk says, what other time is there than now? <laughs> and the conversation went no further than this. <laughs> but Dogen continues on, and he says that he had um, a really deep intuitive sense of why, of what that monk was talking about, and, and that there was something really, really important that he was saying. Um, and both of these encounters, and especially this is what I, I got from reading this over the years, was what these teachers were pointing to was that um, there is no duality. There is, there is, you know, Dogen with the first story is asking, well, why don't you do meditation? Why don't you study koans? You know, why aren't you doing something else? This is this is work that you're doing that is impeding you from doing your practice, right? Shouldn't you get done with it as soon as possible so that you can go to the meditation hall? And what, what these cooks were trying to explain to Dogen in that kind of mysterious Zen way was that there, there is nothing else than this moment. This moment is sufficient. Whatever it brings, this moment is sufficient. Um being hot outside, working in the sun, drying mushrooms. You know, yeah, the cook probably knew he could put on a hat if he wanted to. Um, but as we continue on in our practice, we don't see the problem. Okay, we take care of our bodies. We take care of ourselves. We're not trying to hurt ourselves, but there is no problem. You know, the obstacles dissolve. And... Um, when this writing finally clicked for me, it was in 2015 when Reverend Master Oswin and I were visiting Throssel in England, which is the um, monastery over there associated with our order. And I was working in the kitchen, and um, I was finding it difficult. And the me now can easily see that the difficulty was my problem, that it was my own resistance that I was bringing to that situation. And what I learned um, as the reason for that, um, again, which is what I think Dogen learned for himself in his own way, was that I was chopping things up into... Um, what I saw as valuable or invaluable. Um, and this is often something that is subconscious. You know, we, we know practice on paper. Um, you know, we know that we're supposed to be taking every moment at face value and being with that and that that is sufficient. But reality, you know, how something looks in theory and how something is in reality are often very different. And we're bombarded by feelings. Um, you know, I'm grouchy. I don't like this. This person irritates me. All of this stuff that 
that makes it so that the theory is not so easy. Like Buddhism on paper looks, you know, can look, you know, maybe it looks easy, I don't know. But Buddhism in reality is very difficult. <laughs> Practice in reality is very difficult. So as Dogen continues on um, commenting about his encounters with the chief cook, or these two chief cooks, um, the, um, the chief cook from the boat eventually comes and sees him at Tendozan, and they have a conversation, which I'm not going to go into now, but, um, but Dogen gets to talk to him about, um, about what, is that, what is the character of Buddhism, you know, and um, he encounters a poem later that reminds him of something that the, the cook says. And the poem reads, One, seven, three, five. Nothing may be depended upon by any universe. Night comes, and the moon floods the water with light. Within the dragon's jaws, I find many exquisite jewels. And I don't know how many times um, I read that poem, but I can remember sitting in the novice's common room at Throssel, and you know it was probably a rest period, and I was just doing, you know, reading the Tenzo Kyokun and and um, and just trying to. Yeah, just trying to read it and, and study that and do my best. And, you know, maybe I was exerting effort or maybe it was a little half-hearted. I can't remember. But I read that poem and it just totally clicked. Um, and again, it doesn't mean that that makes life any easier. But something clicks for us sometimes in practice. And it's like training downshifts. Like you shift into the next gear. And within the dragon's jaws, I find many exquisite jewels. I, and again, I don't know how many times I read that sentence, but it's about our perspective. And, and Dogen's experience, his conversations with these chief cooks, he was looking for something. He was looking outside of himself for something. He was staring at life and seeing the jaws, right? But within the dragon's jaws, I find many exquisite jewels, okay? When, when you shift your perspective, you see that there are no obstacles. There is no problem. It's a jewel with which to deepen your practice. It's something to train with, okay? Um, if you were a weightlifter or you know a yoga instructor or something like that, you're not going to get very far not stretching. You're not going to get very far not lifting a weight, right? It's the resistance that we um, put on ourselves that helps us to get stronger or more flexible in those particular um, in those uh, categories and training the the grist of life every, every every moment of every day is um, that soil with which that lotus blossom grows um, and that shift in perspective 
um, I mean, it sounds crazy now, but I had never seen that for myself. I had just never seen that. And again, how many times I had read that poem, and I had not seen that there were jewels in the dragon's mouth, right? There's actually jewels there. Um, often you see statues of Kanzian or paintings, and she's riding a dragon. It's because the dragon traditionally represents the truth and also the defender of the truth. Um, and it also represents that which we find difficult. There's this image of like dragon's breath, right? Um, there's even a saying, you know, um, encountering dragon's breath, right? It's that, that which we find difficult. But when that shift in your perspective takes place, there you see Kanzan writing on the dragon. You see that it's actually not something to scare you or chew you up. It's actually something that's compassionate. It wants you to succeed in your practice. It wants you to deepen your practice. And so... Um, just a couple other stories um, from my own experience in the um, working in the kitchen. So um, part of this, this attitude of mine that we bring to uh, daily life is this cutting up of what we like and what we don't like or what we think is good or, or bad. And I, I learned another really valuable lesson when I was training with Reverend Astor uh, when she was the chief cook and we had cooked some white rice and it had gotten old enough it was a few days later that we needed to compost it and I and I really love white rice and so I said well and I but more I think I felt bad that we were composting it and so I said well can I'll eat it and at first she said okay sure fine but then she came back and she said but really look at your attitude of mind of why do you want to eat that rice um, and I did and what I saw was, yeah, I like white rice, but really it was the judgment that putting it in the compost was wrong. And again, this is that, that breaking up of reality and putting it into these categories of right and wrong and good and bad, you know, like Dogen was doing, where he was saying, this is practice. And this isn't practice. Um, and so it's interesting now when we have to compost things. Um, there's a saying that, uh, and I, I don't know the name of the person who said it, but nothing is lost. I'm sure many people have said that over the years, many different people. But Nothing is lost. Okay, what, what is that judgment that I'm imposing upon this thing that's going to go into the compost? Um, and if you think of it in terms of the scripture of great wisdom, nothing is lost there. Someone's going to eat that food, right? If they didn't, it would just remain there for eternity. You know, there'd be white rice on the table forever. Like something winds up eating that food. It's just not going to be a human being. And so although we want to take great care with the food, as Dogen talks about in the, in the Tenzo Kyokun, and we want to treat it with respect, it is not disrespectful to have to compost something. Um, both are okay. We do our best to take care of the food when we can. Uh, we try not to cook too much food so that we can you know, try and eat it before we have to compost it. But 
you just you can't always it's not a perfect science um, and another story was that the first chief cook I studied under was uh, Rev. Master Oswin, who was the prior of the Eugene Buddhist Priory. And when you're prior, you have to wear all the hats. You have to do everything. So that's why I count him as a chief cook. And um, I was cooking um, some food one day, and he was on probably a Sanzen call, and it was going way longer than the scheduled uh, time. And I was getting really nervous because I had started cooking the food with the intention of it being ready at a certain time. And we were going way over that time. And so then I thought, um, well, do I, you know, if I keep cooking it, it's going to burn. If I turn it off, then it's going to be cold. Like, where's that balance? And that was just triggering my part of my own koan, which was this fear of, um, getting in trouble, like making a bad meal and, and getting in trouble. So I was just like really starting to, to like fall inward on myself. And again, luckily, because I was studying the Tenzo Kyokun uh, at that time, I started seeing this like spinning negative attitude of mind. And I thought, no, 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 like you got to pull out of that. You got to put as much love and care into this food as you can. Because again, that's what Dogen talks about. That's what he learned in China from these chief cooks was that this is all practice. And this is that our putting the love and kindness uh, and gratitude into this food is so important. And that's why we take such great care with all of these minute details. It's an, again, an expression of gratitude and love. And so I, I caught myself and started thinking, okay, I probably started just saying the three homages and just meditating and doing the best that I could. And when Rib Master Oswin finally got off the phone and we sat down and I was thinking, oh God, it's all, it's burned. It's too dry. It's, you know, it's this and it's that and whatever. And he said, you know, he took a few bites and he said, this meal is perfect. <laughs> and, um, and I thought, whoa, <laughs> you know, because, because, you know, I knew he wasn't reading my mind or anything like that, but it was one of those moments where um, it was re not that we necessarily need reinforcement in our practice, but it's nice every once in a while, um, where it was reinforcing this idea of like, wow, like, like I couldn't deny, like, no, that was that that you did something, like you didn't get all negative, you just stood there and did your best and put as much love into the food as you could. And somehow he picked up on that. Um, it just, it just, it just reinforced that idea that the the attitude of mind with which we cook or work in the kitchen or the sacristy or wherever um, is deeply important. And again, we do these things not because we are seeking enlightenment, but because these are expressions of our own innate enlightenment. Um, and that our, our understanding of this can deepen with practice, sure, absolutely. But when we're all fully enlightened Buddhas, we're not going to have anything more or less than what we have now. Um, I think, if anything, we will have a deeper understanding of what we have now. Um, but there's nothing added and nothing that can be taken away. So... So I think that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs>